Our scripture today is from a couple different scriptures. The first one being Matthew 6, 9 through 13. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not in temptation, into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Our next scripture comes from 2 Chronicles 7.14 this morning. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Lord God, as we come before your word today, uh, we just pray that you would open us up to hear from you. Lord God, would you just open our eyes to see how you've been alive and active in our lives, especially in this last week. Would you open our ears this morning to hear from you and our hearts to receive you? Lord God, would you give me words to speak that don't come from my own lips or come from my own preparation, but come from you. And they don't fall just on our, our human, earthly ears, but they go deep into our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Question for you all. How many, have you, or how many of you have heard of Voyagers National Park? Anyone Voyagers National Park? One in the back. Oh, come on, people. No one? Oh, two. And, and a maybe. I saw a maybe, too. We'll give you two and a half. Oh, and, and Susan has. And my wife, who's also from Minnesota, and it's the only national park in Minnesota. Come on, people. I, I thought you would have known your Minnesota geography and history. Voyagers is, uh, if you can imagine, it's this space that is uh, the Canadian border and Minnesota, and it's where the two meet, and it's a national park there. It's also called the Boundary Waters Canoe Area. It is, uh, now you're like, now I've heard of it. Yeah, right. <laughs> now you're trying to make me feel better. Or, yeah, yeah sure. There you go. That's better. So it's 200,000 acres, and it's uh, one of the only national parks that the majority of the space is actually water, it's not land. So there's so many lakes, uh, there's so much going on that there's actually more water in that 200,000 acres than there is land. And uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful area. And um, for my own faith journey, you all should be thankful for the Bonjour Waters, because as I went there, as a kid, I just felt God in a special way, uh, saw God in a special way. And as I traveled here for the very first time, all I kept thinking is, this looks a lot like the Boundary Waters. Uh, it actually looks a lot like Lake Alpine, if you kind of picture that with, with the pine trees and the exposed rocks and the lakes and the clear water, uh, but 200,000 acres of Lake Alpine. And you're like, oh, that sounds nice. Well, you live in it right now. It's, it's okay. You're aware of what it looks like. Don't travel all the way to Minnesota. You're fine. But the reason I bring it up is that Again, it's just dominated by lakes. It's really unique in that the only motorboats allowed in the whole place are ones that are these canoe outfitters that bring you and your canoes 
out for trips. So you can't just be out there. Um, and I've spent uh, several trips up there, and one memorable one was a, something like five to seven days. Uh, and you camp on these different islands, uh, and you do this long trip, and there was three solid days where we didn't see another sign of human life for three days. And after three days, we saw two people in a canoe on the other side of a giant lake going across. And that was it for the whole trip. So you're just way out there. Uh, feels like a lot of wilderness. It's a bad place to get lost. Uh, and it happens. People get lost. And, and as you can imagine, it's hard to have a good map because uh, while you might have the lakes and stuff that you can have a map of, it's not like you're on a trail. It's not like you're hiking from one point to another point and you're staying on the trail. As long as you follow the markers, uh, you're going to get there because the majority of it is over the water. So if you're in a canoe, you have a map and you have a compass. But if you don't know where you are, a map and a compass don't help that much. You just think about that. If you're just in the middle of a lake, and these lakes are large enough you can't see across. So these are big lakes. And, and if you're just out there and you don't know where you are on the map, or you don't have a good guess of where you are, uh, the compass doesn't help that much. It just helps you turn the map the right way. Uh, but you still don't know where you are. And I was on this trip, and there was about six, seven hours where we weren't exactly sure where we were. But we knew we wanted to go east, so we kept going east, and we kept going to these different islands. And, and we got to this one, and we thought, okay, now we need to stop here, and we need to take everything out and just for sure try to figure out where we are. And all you can see is rocks, and you can see pine trees, and just, okay, the shoreline curves right there. You know, can we find a curving shoreline? And eventually, we did find out where we were, and we were in Canada. Uh, illegally, I suppose. I'm, I'm confessing to you all. I have illegally crossed the border to Canada via canoe, as it should be done. Um, and, and we were quite a ways into Canada, a couple miles. But, but once we figured it out on the map, then we were able to get back, we were able to get home, uh, and it was all fine. But the reason I bring this up is this, this sentence, if you don't know where you are on the map, the compass is only so helpful. There's only so much help you can get out of a compass if you don't even know where you are. If you have no clue, if, you've, if you're three days into a canoe trip and you're in 200,000 uh, acres of wilderness and you haven't seen people for three days, uh, how much help is the compass, right? And I feel like this last year, a uh, year and a half or so, a lot of us feel like we're, we're, we're pretty far back in the woods. Not, not this area, but I feel like in our own lives, we're, we're, we're so far off the beaten trail. We've known what life has been like going through it, and there's been so much that's happened. There's there's been a lot in our country, there's been a lot in our world, there's, there's pandemic, but there's also loss, uh, there's, there's hard global things, but then there's also personal stories that each and every one of you have of things that are going on, and it feels a little bit like you're not sure where you are on the map. You're nodding, so I'm assuming that you're agreeing. And in that moment, I think uh, we can find comfort in today's scripture passage. 
This is the last week in our sermon series on prayer. Uh, It's been the majority of the summer, uh, and it's been all leading to this prayer where Jesus' disciples came to him, and they said, teach us how to pray. And then Jesus taught them this prayer, often called the Lord's Prayer or the Disciples' Prayer or the Our Father. Um, And again, the point of this whole sermon series is that we start with prayer when things are going hard. So when you're when you're out in the wilderness, whether it's a real one or if it just feels like it in your life right now, that your first step is to pray. Your very first step forward, it's not, not to take out the compass. That's just a helpful tool. It's not to try to, to make your own map and try to figure out where you're at. It's, it's to lean on our God. And, and this is a great way, uh, I think, to do it here. Luke chapter 11, verse 1. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. So he's speaking of John the Baptist here. Apparently, John the Baptist with his own disciples gathered them. And and we don't have a record of it. It's not recorded in Scripture. But he gathered them and he must have taught them how to pray how to connect with God, how to come before a holy God. And Jesus' disciples are asking him the same thing. They're saying, uh, we're in this world, there's so much going on. Teach us uh, the core of of what it is to have a relationship with God. Teach us how to connect with God. Teach us the words to say that we're able to learn uh, what this relationship is like. And actually, it's really interesting. The words that he teaches them are kind of this breakdown of Jesus' entire mission. It's everything he's been going on. I don't know if you've ever looked at it this way, but, but he could have said anything at that moment. And these are the words that he taught them to pray. So every single one of them is important. Every phrase is there intentionally. It's a breakdown of his entire mission. It's actually very similar to what we call the greatest commandment. In Mark, chapter 12, verse 28, one of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating, uh, speaking of the people that are uh, debating with Jesus, and noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, asked him this, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Mark 12, verse 29 Jesus replies, the most important one is this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. So Jesus makes two points here. Love God and love your neighbors. If you're trying to seek after him, if you're trying to follow him, if you're trying to be his disciple, two main points, love God and love your neighbor. And they're not totally separated. Jesus says the second is like the first. When you love your neighbor well, it's like 
loving God. There's something, there's something connecting there. There's something relational going on. So as I read again through the Lord's Prayer, listen for those, uh, those two things. Love God and love your neighbor. It's Matthew 6, verses 9 through 13. Jesus says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Amen. So let's spend a good chunk of time here kind of breaking down this prayer. I think it's right to to kind of see the different sections of what's going on. What is Jesus doing? What is he communicating? And the very first one is this very short introduction. Uh, He's simply telling his disciples who they are to pray to. Uh, So it's the short introduction. It's just this. Our Father who is in heaven. The reason being, if you get that part wrong... The rest of the prayer doesn't matter, right? If you just pray to someone else, uh, it doesn't matter what you say. So the very first thing, an introduction, our Father who is in heaven. Second, following that, are three uh, petitions, and they're all about God. They're all pointing to God, God's name, God's kingdom, God's will. This is that love God section, right? And the next three petitions focus on us, uh, but it's always plural. It's always in community. Jesus could have said, uh, forgive me my sins, for example, but it's always us. It's It's always me, but it's also my neighbor at the same time. It's our needs, our sins, our temptations. So back in the beginning of it, and I jokingly said it but, it, but it's also true. Our Father in heaven, this is the most important part. Because there's a lot of people in our world that pray to the wrong thing, or they misunderstand who God is. They may even think they know who God is. They think they know who they're praying to, but they don't, they don't get it. They might think of this God that's, uh, that's not relational that's far away, that, that judges them and, and is uh, just looking for them to make a mistake. And then, then they need to come back before God. And, and Jesus says, uh, some people pray like that, but when, when he teaches them how to pray, he tells them to start with our Father who art in heaven. Now, if you grew up in the church, you've probably heard this many times, but uh, this word for Father here, This is an intimate word. It's used sometimes uh, through Scripture, but Jesus really is is the one who's bringing this to the forefront. He's bringing this uh, to the center of it. It's this word, Abba. Abba, Father. It's this relational term. Father is okay. Father seems formal. Uh, It's more like dad. 
Or maybe even like daddy. It's, Jesus is saying, don't, don't come before some far away, uh, disconnected God that you're not even sure is listening to you. Come before your dad. Come right up to him. This is the most important part. If you don't get this, then the rest of this prayer doesn't make any sense. That you need to come before God in intimacy, in who he is and who you are, and just sit on your dad's lap. Now, I have little kids at home, so I have a little more clear picture of what this looks like, but there's times in the evening where Ander, our youngest, he's been a little difficult lately. I think I can, he's not, he went downstairs. I think I can say that to you all. Susan's nodding. Uh, He's been uh, a little difficult, but there's times where he's just so tired and he's so worn out that he doesn't even know how to act. I'm not saying we're like that, but I'm kind of saying we're like that sometimes. We can be so worn out by the world that that we just need to come before our Heavenly Father and, and just sit on his lap. And sometimes, uh, I say comforting words to Ander. Other times I just rub his back. Sometimes I play with his hair. And quite often he's so worn out that he falls, falls asleep right there on my lap. That's what it's like to come before your daddy in prayer. That's what it's like to come to, come to your dad and just, and just cuddle up and sit with him. And again, if you don't get this part, of this prayer, then the rest of it just doesn't make any sense. It just seems like a formula that, that you're just kind of solving uh, this problem. And if you pray the certain way, maybe, maybe then magic will happen. But that's not how our relationship with God goes. We're to draw near to Him, to come close to our Heavenly Father. And then He follows again with these three petitions. The first one Hollywood be thy name. Now, what on earth does that mean? You probably said it, right? <laughs> but what exactly, like, so, so what you're saying here is may God's name, and names in Scripture are very important. Name, names represent uh, everything about the person. It's not just, not just your name. Uh, but may God's name be held high. We live in a world that doesn't always hold the name of God high. I'm not just talking about swearing. Although I could just talk about swearing. Please don't push God's name low into the dirt with how we speak. But we live in a world where, uh, where God's name is run through the mud. People don't think he can do what he can do. People don't think he matters. There's people that pray and then other people scoff that, how, how foolish. Those people believe in a real God. I hope you're not surprised to hear this. I hope I'm not breaking any news to you. But like, let's just be real. There's people in our world that think it's silly that you're in this church this morning. And they think it's incredibly silly that I'm up here. And that I spent so much of my week writing a sermon about a 2,000-year-old book. Like, like, all I do is give TED Talks up front about an old book, week after week. Like, what, what a waste of a life to so many people. 
because God's name is so low. So, so when you pray this prayer, you're saying, hallowed be your name. May your name be holy. May it be lifted up. May it be unique among all names. May it be special. May it be respected and lifted high. That's what that means. Again, Jesus could have told his disciples to pray anything at the start of this prayer. But instead, he said, know who you're coming to, and, and then pray that God would be honored. That is how you start off your relationship with him. Second, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, bring your kingdom here. That's what Jesus is praying. Bring, uh, bring your kingdom like it is in heaven. Make it, make it that way on earth. We know that, that in heaven there's, there's peace and there's love and there's kindness and all these, these fruits of the Spirit are just all over the place. And then we walk around down here and, and it's hard to find. Lord, would you invade those things into this world? Now, when I was a kid, I, I was, we, we went to church. I didn't go super often, probably maybe once a month, uh, if that. And I was confused. Anyone ever been confused at church? Okay, thank you. Four other people. <laughs> so, so I was confused, and this is what was confusing. It seemed weird that God was going to send Jesus, and then Jesus was going to be some like miracle worker. That seemed really weird. Like, the idea that, like, God was going to come, and he was going to come in the form of Jesus, and he was going to redeem the world. I got all that. But why is he performing magic? Why is he doing, like, tricks? Why, why is he, like, people are coming, and he's, like, it, it's like he's doing magic. Like, he's healing things, and he's, he's making water into wine. You ever think about that? You all cannot. That's okay. I'm not like going to like call you this week and be like, "Hey, you admitted that this is a little confusing." But it's true. Like, what what is going on? And here is a, a piece of what's going on. When I understood this, it made so much more sense. So I'm just going to say it uh, to you all because maybe you haven't heard it this way before. That in the Garden of Eden, in the very beginning, heaven and earth were overlapping because God was there, and humanity was there, and God was in the garden and. And there was, it was good, and it was how it was meant to be. And then when sin came, there was this divide that happened, in it, and it kind of pulled the heaven out of earth, so to speak. And, and I think what a lot of Christians think, and, and what we kind of think, is that they're, they're totally separate, that they're way far apart. And, and maybe if we behave well, then, then when our time comes, we'll be sprung from this earth, and we'll get to be in heaven, and that's it. And that's the whole point of what's going on. That, that I think it's been taught in a lot of churches. And, and it's not entirely incorrect, but it's not the whole story either. Actually, if you read Scripture, there's places where heaven and earth overlap a little bit. Where heaven and earth are, are still connected. And that's what's going on in, in the Old Testament temple. When you read about the temple and the tabernacle, and there's this holy of holies, this special place where God dwells with his people, it's... It's like there's this thin place between, between heaven and, and earth. And God's in there. And that's what's happening when Jesus comes. He's, he's pulling the, the heaven back on top of earth. 
if that makes sense. So, so he's the firstborn, of the, he's bringing heaven in, and, and that's what his miracles are. It's, it's not that he's doing magic, it's that he's giving us little glimpses of heaven. So we read about what, what heaven will be like, and, and there's, no, there's no illness. And then Jesus comes, and, and sick people are brought before him, and he brings a little bit of heaven onto them. It's like a really cloudy day, and there's, there's uh, beams of light that Jesus is bringing down. And, and we as believers are able to look at those and be like, oh, I kind of get it. That, that's what heaven is going to be like. I don't fully understand, but that, that's a little glimpse. Jesus is healing people. Jesus is doing these miracles, but it's not like he's doing magic. He's, he's pulling heaven back onto earth. Does that make sense? So, so as, as you're praying this prayer, look at the words that you're saying. Your kingdom come. Bring your kingdom back, back here. Make it, make it invade this space, this place around us that is hurting, this place that is full of pain, this place that is full of hurt, that, that sin has, has done some damage to. Whether it's in your own life or it's just the world around you, you're praying, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth like it is in heaven. So we already know in heaven that God's will is perfectly being done, but make it like that on earth. And what I find so beautiful is that that's something we get to participate in. That's not just simply passive. When we hear about God's peace, we hear about God's wholeness and bringing restoration, when we are a person of peace, when we're a person of wholeness, when we're a person of restoration into the world, we're not just being nice to other people. We are doing our part as Christians to bring heaven into earth. That's a deep thought, but that's biblically true. That, that's what's going on there. So as we pray this prayer, think deeply about these words, your kingdom come. Again, Jesus could have told him to say anything. But this is what he's doing here. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then he goes on with three more petitions before God. Verse 11, give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, our sins, our trespasses, or whatever, whatever you learned. Forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And then many of us are, are used to another phrase on the end there. Uh, it's not uh, here in Matthew. It's also not in Luke, where there's a shorter version uh, it's only in some manuscripts that are much later. So that, that's why it's not here. And it's not necessarily wrong. It's, just, it's, uh, it's like a benediction at the end of a, a sermon. At some point, um, someone probably bracketed off, you know, made it, made it known, but they kind of added a, uh, a little phrase. Um, but this is actually where the prayer ends. Lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil. Again, us language. Give us. Forgive us. Deliver us. 
not give me, not forgive me, not deliver me, but it's all plural. It's all, it's all community. It's Jesus teaching his followers how to come together before God. And there's this huge focus right in the middle here on forgiveness. And again, it's right to note that Jesus could have centered this prayer on anything, but he chose forgiveness. Why? Because we are, we are part of bringing heaven into earth. And this is a beautiful way to do it. It's a beautiful way of being a part of that mission is to be a part of forgiveness in the world. And that's why forgiveness here is not just, job, not just jobs, not just God's job. All right, there's both parts. Of course we need God to forgive us our sins. But it also says, as we also forgive those who sin against us. Because we are, we are partaking in the, the bringing heaven into earth in this. Again, this is Jesus' main mission. This is what he's doing, and his followers are invited to be a part of it. So as Christians, we are to be people of forgiveness. Do you think Christians are viewed that way? No. I'll say no. I'll say no from up here. I think a lot of people, if they were to pick, uh, I don't know, five dozen words to describe Christians, uh, I don't think they would pick forgiveness. And that's terribly sad. And some of it's a misunderstanding, sure. Some of it's uh, people that, that maybe aren't seeing the good uh, in what's going on. But, but there isn't an extent. Well, it, it's just John 13, 35. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Well, we shouldn't be that surprised if we don't love one another and people don't know that we're disciples of Jesus. I'm not just talking people in this room. Like as a society, as, as, a, as a country, as a, as a world, when Christians behave in a certain way and it doesn't look like loving one another, it doesn't look like loving their neighbors, uh, it doesn't look like loving God, uh, then why would we be surprised that people question who their God is and who they truly follow? Uh, that's, that's just our world. Uh, but that also shouldn't be, oh, they're, they're terrible people for thinking that. that scripture calls us and even Jesus says here, he says, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. I think it's fair to say that some of us probably need to work on forgiveness. Because that can be a hard line to read. If, th if this were just me telling you how to pray, if I was just going to come up here and, and tell you from my own uh, experience or my own wisdom or whatever, I would probably leave that part off because it seems harsh. And I, I want to be nice. We all want to be nice, right? But this is not a, a Mr. Nice Jesus line. This is, this is a speak the truth Jesus line, and he does it all through the Gospels. So if this Jesus seems strange to you, uh, just read the Gospels more, <laughs> and, and you'll see that Jesus speaks truth into hard situations. And he's speaking truth into his church right here. Again, verse 12, and forgive us, our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. 
And then the final line, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And just briefly, I'll say that the question as a pastor that I get here is it's a little confusing in the language. They said, wait, is God the one that's tempting us? Is God the one that's leading us into temptation? What, what does it mean to pray that, that God would not lead us into temptation? And I think what's important is to look in Jesus' own life and in, in the records we have from the Gospels and think, is there any times where Jesus was led into temptation? I can think of two. I can think of two. Two kind of immediately pop into my mind. Matthew 4, verse 1, right at the beginning of his ministry. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Was God doing the tempting? No. But, but Jesus is led, uh, so we get that same language. And then again, the other side of Jesus' ministry, Matthew 26. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, this is his final, uh, second to final night. And he prays, Father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. But let your will be done rather than mine. So, so there's times, at least in Jesus' own ministry, where where he is, he is tempted. He's tempted to, uh, in, in the beginning, I, I think when the devil's with him in the desert and he, and he says uh, that you can uh, you know, control the world and you can do all these things, I think Scripture tells us that Jesus was tempted. It, it, you might disagree, that's fine. But when I read it, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Sounds like Jesus was tempted by the devil. And then, and then later on, I think he's tempted to not go through with this. And, and here, he, he's telling his disciples at the very end of the prayer, as they're praying to God, say, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Because God was also with him in those moments. Jesus wasn't alone. And he was delivered from this temptation. And then the prayer ends. And I think the reason it ends there is it shows this full reliance on God. We might think we're strong. We might think we have it all together. We might think we have it all figured out. Uh, but Jesus says, no, no, no. Pray to God that you're not led into temptation. But you might think you're strong. Well, trust me, Jesus was. All right, and you're no Jesus. Again, controversial. <laughs> you're no Jesus, so if he's telling you to pray this, uh, pray it. At the very start of my sermon, I, I said when I was talking about Voyagers uh, uh, National Park, I said, if you don't know where you are, a map and a compass are only so helpful. And, and that's what brings me to this this passage is, is, I don't think this is necessarily a compass. I don't think it just points us in the right direction. I think the disciples knew the right direction, but I think they needed more. What they were asking for G from Jesus is, is more like trail markers. 
When you're on a hike and, and there's the markers along the trail and you know that if I, if I get to this marker, uh, I'm in the right direction. And then I get to this next one. And then I get to this next one. And that's, that's what this prayer is. It's not, it's not just Jesus saying, go that way. It's, it's Jesus giving us some trail markers along the way to say, how are you doing in this walk? Interestingly, this, this church is a covenant church, evangelical covenant church is our denomination. There's this really old covenant phrase. I don't know how familiar you all are with it, but as covenanters in the 1800s, as they would get together, they would ask each other the question, how goes your walk? And they're not just talking about walking around town, right? How goes your walk with the Lord is normally how it's lengthened. Why? Because they're in it together. Again, this plural language, give us, uh, forgive us, lead us. Your, your walk with the Lord matters to my walk with the Lord. But they also care. And I think it's this beautiful phrase. How goes your walk with God? In this last year and a half, how goes your walk with the Lord? During this, this season of, of COVID and, and isolation and, and wearing masks or not wearing masks or wherever you are, how goes your walk with God? Not how goes your walk with, I don't know, the election. How goes your walk with God? How are you doing as a believer right now? And, and the question becomes, if, if that's a hard question to answer, then, then I think we can be called to go before our Abba Father. Jesus taught them to pray this intentionally. Uh, and it's because it leads them in the right direction. So here's, here's my major points. Jesus starts off by telling his disciples to be 100% sure of who they're praying to. Pray to your heavenly Father knowing and trusting in his love for you. Number two. Pray that his name would be held as holy. That he would be lifted up above all others, both in this world and in ourselves, that his name would be holy. Number three, pray that God's kingdom would continue to invade our broken and our sinful world. That we would see glimpses of glory that is to come. They would be able to partake in, in bringing about that new kingdom reality into our own circles of influence. Pray that God would provide all that we need. Not necessarily all that we want, but all that we need. Trusting and knowing that he loves to give his children good gifts. Five, pray that God would continue to forgive our sins. That we would never take our sins lightly. 
that any, any thought, word, or deed that separates us from the will of God is, is not his will for us. That, that anything going on that does not draw us closer to God is, is, is sin in our lives. But also pray that we would never allow ourselves to be held captive by these sins. And that God would give us the strength and the wisdom and the endurance to forgive others as we've been forgiven. That we wouldn't just be people who receive forgiveness, but that we'd be partners with God in in bringing forgiveness out into this world, that we'd be agents of change out into our world to the people around us who are hurting and who are broken. And finally, that God would steer us away from temptation. Because we know that temptations are all around us. And it would be foolish of us to downplay them, to say, oh, those aren't powerful. Those are nothing. I can handle this. It's there. Pray, Lord, would you deliver us from the evil one and keep us in your heavenly kingdom forever and ever. I think if we follow these guideposts in our prayer lives, that we're in a good place. But if any one of those sits hard with you, if, if, you, if you imagine being on, on the hike here and you get to one of these posts and you're like, this one, uh, this one's hard. This one is, I'm, I don't think I'm at where I should be and I'm tempted to turn off here and, and follow a slightly different path, then, then we need to open that up to God too. We need to point that to to God and say, God, would you just reveal this in my own life?